This is Dan Fagella, and you're listening to AI Futurescapes. This is our new Saturday series focused on the longer-term implications of artificial intelligence in governance and in business. This first AI Futurescape series focuses on AI governance. If you missed last week's episode with the famed Stuart Russell, you're going to want to make sure to tune into that one. That was a really nice tee-up for the series as a whole, and in the introduction to that episode, I also talked a lot more about what you can expect in the weeks ahead. Over the course of the next 11 episodes, we're going to be going from near-term artificial intelligence governance all the way to long-term artificial intelligence governance. So AI as it is today, all the way to when AI is astronomically more powerful, and we're going to be speaking with folks from Oxford to the OECD and the IEEE and beyond. Today, we speak with Kareen Perset of the OECD. She works on the Uh, AI Policy Observatory at the OECD. She was kind enough to invite us out there to sort of be a part of some of their AI governance efforts uh, in Paris directly before this big pandemic struck. Corrine speaks with us this week around getting started with AI principles. The OECD is known for their OECD AI principles. OECD countries have agreed to these principles for AI development and deployment at a government level, as well as some non-OECD countries have agreed to similar principles. Of course, a principle does not make for hard governance, but it might be a good place to start. And Kareen has an interesting argument as to why that is, and an interesting backdrop on how she thinks AI principles will evolve into AI laws and build, hopefully, a better world when it comes to AI governance. So without further ado, we're going to jump into this episode. This is Kareen Perset, the OECD, here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Kareen, I'm glad we're able to catch up. The world is a very different place than when I saw you in Paris about a month ago or so. And we're going to be talking today about AI governance. Your work with OECD is interesting. That's how you and I know each other. I know the audience, many of them business folks, might not know what the OECD does or is. They've probably heard the name. Do you have a nice way you like to summarize it before we get into the the interview? Uh, Sure. Thanks, Dan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to join your podcast. I wanted to say that because I love your podcast, but (laughs) a few few words about the OECD. So at the core, the OECD is an intergovernmental organization that's based in Paris, as you said, and that has 36 member countries. And these countries have to be democracies and market economies to be able to join. So the members are the US, Canada, Mexico, Chile, a lot of European countries, and then Asian countries like Japan and South Korea, and also Australia, New Zealand, and Israel. In addition to the member countries, we work with a lot of other partner countries uh, like Singapore, Egypt, Brazil, and lots of others. And the, the OECD's focus is on economic and social policy and on statistics. And so my work at the OECD is really looking at analyzing and measuring policies for AI that work and those that work less well to help countries move forward in implementing good AI policies. Yep. And that's obviously why you and I got connected in the first place. It's fascinating work. In my very biased opinion, you have the cool job at the OECD, but I know there's a lot of other really awesome stuff that the organization does. So good to have an intro for the folks that are tuned in. Obviously, that's the frame we'll be talking through when we talk about governance today. And I wanted to just sort of pivot into that and and get some of your sort of instincts on some of these issues of near-term and longer-term AI governance. The, The first question in the hopper here is around what sort of elements of AI governance 
today, if we just talk about, you know, 2020, 2021, what elements of AI governance should stay local, sort of provincial to whatever, you know, nation they relate to? And if there's anything that you think even now, as AI is still in its nascent phase, kind of does belong more on a global level, what are your, what are your thoughts there for AI governance broadly? Thanks, Dan. That's a great question, but it's also a really tough question because uh, it's broad and there's probably not a single right answer. You're right. Uh, so in many cases, the use of global versus local governance is going to depend on the context and the application. And well, my perspective is coming from an intergovernmental organization. So, you know, with that caveat, I'll start with the global and then, you know, go into the local governance. So, you know, on the global level, like the with the internet and the rest of the digital economy, there's a real need for international cooperation because on AI, because so many of the companies and institutions creating AI systems operate internationally. So whatever they develop and deploy is going to impact people and economies around the world. And the companies themselves really need stable and predictable policy environments at the international level so, so they can deploy these systems everywhere and let them do their good and bring their benefits. So from our perspective on a global level, I think we've had, we've been focusing on, you know, a first, we've had a first phase uh, at the OECD and in other international contexts that's really been about developing high level common visions of how we want AI to help us uh, improve people's lives, boost growth and help with some of the global challenges like environmental challenges or health. And at the same time, and this is just as important, we've been focusing on on agreeing on the common values that we want AI systems and AI actors to promote and to protect. And so really prioritizing those, you know, not having a Christmas tree of everything that we would like, but really a priority, the, the core priority values that we want these AI systems to respect. And also recognizing, of course, there can be trade-offs. So here, what's really been interesting is over the past, let's say, two, three years, the the huge level of convergence globally on the need for AI systems to benefit people and be inclusive. So the inclusivity angle has been a priority for the OECD and for many others. The need for them to respect human rights and be fair, uh, be transparent and explainable, be safe and secure. And then also on the need for uh, the actors developing AI systems to be accountable. And so when I say we at a global level, it's, of course, governments, but working very closely with other stakeholders, including companies and civil society. These are very multi-stakeholder efforts. So at the international level, in May last year, the OECD members and uh, a number of partner countries adopted the OECD AI principles. Those are, are some of the elements that I mentioned. And then a month later, the G20 adopted the same AI principles, which yeah. is very important because... This provides the beginning of a global policy and ethical benchmark, if you consider sort of just the geographic breadth and then the economic role of these G20 and OECD countries. It's, it's a big, it's an important part of the world. And then since, since last May, I think we and many others have been focusing on the how. So uh, he, here we're talking more about the practices and policies that are needed to implement those visions. And the how in many cases is going to be local uh, in that it will be regional, for example, at the European Union level, at the national level, or at the state or city level uh, in, in many cases as well. And of course, AI systems have to respect local laws for privacy, product safety, road safety, health, etc. And 
We don't have any general mandatory governance instruments that are specific for AI today, nor at an international level, nor at a national level. We, we don't have any general governance instruments. However, several governments and intergovernmental bodies are considering, or, or in some cases have adopted, uh, legislation for specific areas of AI technology. And here we've been looking at AI policies in about 60 countries, OECD countries and many others where specific areas have been legislated. And so in many cases, it's about reviewing the existing frameworks and seeing if they need to be updated or in, in light of you know AI or if new frameworks are needed. So just a few examples, Belgium has prohibited the use of lethal autonomous weapons by their local armed forces. There's been a lot of governance experimentation at the local level in the autonomous vehicle space that I'm sure you're aware of, yep. you know, in California, in Germany with Autobahn 9 as a living lab uh, where driverless cars are being tested on the public roads. Even with these local governance experiments or legal frameworks being set up, there are still global considerations. So companies that are developing autonomous vehicles in Germany and that want to be able to sell these cars to Australia are going to need to include training data that includes kangaroos on the side of the road. Uh, and similarly for, yeah. for cows in India, you know, the, the training data has to be. And so there is going to be a need for some kind of global frameworks to ensure that these autonomous vehicles work wherever they can be sold in you know, a lot of other examples, I'm sure you're you're familiar with them, but I thought I'd mention the facial recognition example because yep. the French Minister of the Digital Economy, Cédric O, whom you interviewed yes, in indeed. Paris yeah. a, month, a month ago, yes. uh, he just said, he's just uh, come forward and say, said that France wants to experiment with facial recognition applications before deciding what limits are needed on its use and then what can be decided on a national or on a city level. So I thought that's interesting because typically there's there's a feeling that many European countries, France included, tend to be a little bit you know, um, resistant. We have this, it's more of a cautious principle. So yeah. rather than testing, usually we'll make sure to avoid any harm. So it will be more of a risk uh, risk avoidance as opposed to balancing benefits and risks. But yeah. in this case, no. In this case, it's, it's changing, and, and, and here, for example, in this case, there are so many benefits that we're going to weigh the pros and the cons and then try to limit the risks after, but also gain from the benefits of this technology. How very American. Um, so, no, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah. I'm joking. <laughs> sometimes in a good way, sometimes in a bad it, way. But it was Cedric himself it, it that is, kind of is. made that analogy, right? Leaning away from the purely prohibitive side of things and thinking about you know, what are the upsides of innovation? How do we push that without violating any rights, but also with enough time to experiment and see the value? So a lot of countries are in the same experimentation phase, I guess, that you're talking about here to figure out where these things settle. And I, I want to poke into a couple of the things you just said, uh, Kareen, because there's a lot to work with, with just what I took notes on a second ago. One of them was around beginning with principles and beginning with having these multiple stakeholder groups kind of come up with these principles. Obviously, we've had pretty wide adoption, as you mentioned, the G20. Um, you know, these are small and maybe a critic could say symbolic steps, but they at least are inching in a direction. Is the general hope here, Kareen, in terms of starting with principles, is the idea that countries within their own nations could build laws and structures that are at least coherent to these principles and figure out what works, and that maybe at some time that would bloom or blossom into 
some sort of shared international standards once we get our feet on the ground, once we understand the pros and cons, once we understand what needs to be governed internationally. It feels like principles will build building blocks in individual countries that'll experiment. And then maybe the idea broadly will be there would be shared ideas about data sovereignty, shared ideas about road safety, shared ideas that would, would be global to facilitate commerce, facilitate kind of a solidarity around how this tech is going to be used. Is that the general vision or would you word it differently? No, I think I think that's absolutely correct. That that's exactly the vision, um, and in fact, the work is is already taking place in many different policy communities. So, the principles just just to backtrack a tiny bit, what what they are in fact is an intergovernmental agreement. So, the adherents are governments, and they were developed in a multi-stakeholder manner, but they do represent a broad consensus and a real political commitment by these governments to use the principles as a common framework. And they're soft law with a being peer pressure, but it tends to work really well, the peer pressure and monitoring, because countries have all agreed to this. And again, it's many, many countries because it's OECD countries and, it, and then it's G20 countries. So G20 countries include India, include China, include Indonesia, Russia. And so it's, it's a very broad set of countries uh, here that we're talking about who have agreed that this would be you know, to use this as their framework uh, to build these interoperable frameworks. Now, the frameworks will be more or less, you know, depending on the specific area, uh, there will be more or less cooperation. But what we're doing now, and that's really the next step, is trying to provide, you know, with those countries and with an expert group, the OECD Network of Experts on AI that actually you're a part of, Dan, yeah, yeah, <laughs> we're yeah. delighted. What we're trying to do now is help countries and others to implement the principles. And so this is really, you know, work to move from the to, to concrete actions and partnerships. And this is on the general principles, the values-based principles, but also on the more specific policy-oriented principles, for example, on the jobs front or on the research, the R&D front. Um, and so th that's exactly it. Uh, so, so work streams are taking place on all of that. We've created these working groups within the network of experts that are beginning the work. And then a lot of work is taking place in specific policy communities, for example, in the uh, Committee on Education or the Health Committee at the OECD. All countries and stakeholders that are involved in that in the health sector are interested uh, in seizing the opportunities to improve their healthcare system, its efficiency, diagnosis, etc., but avoid some of the pitfalls. And so work, work has really begun across, you know, sort of these high-level principles in our case, but then in specific policy communities on really, you know, on a sectoral level in, you know, how do we, what do we need to agree on on an international level to make sure that our frameworks, that companies can deploy solutions in all of our countries so we can all benefit from it. Yeah. And, and, you know, when I was there in Paris, obviously there's so many moving parts to, to get from principles to practice, but you know, the, the path being taken is there's a lot of work in defining our terms. What do these various terms mean? Uh, and then there's also kind of thinking through individual application areas, you know, facial recognition was a topic of discussion. Do you see the progress kind of boiling down in that way? In general, people will come to a, a shared understanding of what all of this means, terminology, use cases, and then come up with practical ways to say, here's how we make this principle come alive in 
either some soft governance within an industry or a hard law within a city or a nation or what have you, and that it's it's going to be sort of a, a gradual distillation of individual high impact areas. Uh, is that is that I guess the idea for how it will roll forth? Yeah, that's exactly the idea, Dan. I think you you've you've expressed it uh, very clearly. We're focusing on in our specific area of work, which is the digital economy work, we're focusing sort of on the horizontal issues. And so not so much on the sector specific, which is taking yeah, place yeah. again between ministries of health, ministries of employment, etc. So we're focusing on, first of all, I think there's really three main projects that we're prioritizing in 2020. One is proposing an approach for the classification and taxonomies of AI system. Uh, and here it's really you using a simplified framework to help navigate the different types of AI systems and not try to define an AI system, but through different dimensions, look at what an AI system is doing. And so that will be from the dimension of, uh, you know, what a sectoral level, if it's, uh, you know, uh, an application in in the healthcare or in transportation, then looking at what AI systems are doing um, in terms of uh, what types of technologies they're using. Are they using deep neural networks? Are they using symbolic AI, uh, et cetera? Looking at the different workflows that they're using. So from a workflow angle, you know, is are they decision-making systems? Are they uh, planning systems? Are they personalization tools? And so looking at, at AI systems from these different angles is going to help us to say, well, maybe, you know, a decision-making tool will have specific, will generate specific policy considerations. So that's the first focus areas, which is really kind of classifying, understanding, and, and finding ways, you know, a matrix or ways to navigate the types of AI systems, because it's not one block, it's so many different types of applications and different types of contexts that there's no, there's not going to be a one-size-fits-all. And then also the policy considerations are going to be very different depending on these types of systems, on these dimensions. Uh, and so that's the second working group, which is really focusing on, well, what are the models that exist today to implement some of these values-based principles, you know, transparency and what seems to be working. And so here we'll, we'll be looking, we're looking at national initiatives. We're looking at self-regulatory initiatives, codes of conduct. We're looking at standards, standards and standards initiatives that it, in, you know, the ISO, IEEE and others and uh, certification efforts, et cetera. And then the third focus area is more on the national policymaking front. And here we're going to go back in some cases into the sector-specific applications. For example, here one priority for, for every single government, OECD and in the whole wide world, is better understanding what is the impact of AI on jobs, what does it mean, and how do we prepare people and what does it mean in terms of the education system, both both the formal education systems and informal uh, vocational training, uh, lifelong learning. And so that's going to be, you know, the third priority is really from the national, just focusing on the national policies that we need to put in place to prepare societies and economies to benefit from AI. What do we need to do? So, so I hope that answered uh, your question, I think I went into a little bit more, <laughs> no, more detail it's, than you wanted. It's, but. <laughs> it's, it's useful. It's useful to think about, you know, we're, let, we're getting as many perspectives as you can. You mentioned the IEEE. We've been following the IEEE's work for two and a half, three years and, and interviewing them. And, and uh, Constantinos is actually part of this AI governance series as well to, to understand all the different approaches to how do we go from 
an idea of what we want to embody in these systems to a way of ensuring it actually happens and that maybe that's shared. Sometimes that, that's to facilitate shared standards so we can do business and keep things moving. Sometimes it's also to uphold certain values you know, that we want to uphold within our country or, uh, or what have you. And it's, it's interesting to see how that's getting distilled and boiled into you know, how that's basically getting hardened from the, the level of pure ideas to the level of policy. And so it's cool to see how the OECD is focusing on it as well. My last question is about considering governance as the technology gets more powerful. You and I are, you know, speaking in a time when AI is definitely an exciting space and it has been for many years, but, you know, somewhat sluggish to, to be integrated immediately into, you know, governments integrated immediately in, in the military, integrated immediately in, you know, big established businesses, you know, big tech is doing a lot of it. The other folks, maybe not so much right now, but, but that's going to be changing. You know, certain business functions are going to change altogether. At some point, we'll have chatbots that are massively more capable. We'll have big shifts in the job market based on what machines can do and what people can do. We'll have machines making decisions. We'll have machines maybe solving problems at a little bit of a higher level and, and kind of humans helping out, but but not so much as just a pure tool, but as a much more capable kind of closing the gap on, on, on not quite general intelligence, but getting closer. As these systems become more broadly capable and really start shifting the way business and life operates. How do you see the need for local, global AI governance increasing, decreasing, changing as the technology just becomes more raw capable? Uh, I'm interested in your take there. That's a difficult question, but hopefully as AI becomes more powerful, as AI technologies are more powerful, they can help us with some of the governance considerations. Um, and actually that, that's, that's another focus of work, you know, improving the efficiency of governance and decision making by governments through access to more timely, more, more timely insights and predictions and more accurate predictions. But yeah, then it, it, it depends. I, th I think to the extent that a powerful AI system becomes a global challenge in that it has a global reach and impact then it will need a global response, kind of in the same way that environmental policies or tax regimes require yeah, global yeah. Gov governance. Those AI systems that have local impact will, will require local responses. And, and I mean, some of the challenges that powerful AI systems could raise are already, we're already starting to see them appearing. And, and some, you know, a few that I'd mentioned that the OECD countries are, and others are, are concerned about are, you know, are the risks to democratic values with AI-powered surveillance systems if they don't respect human rights? Yep. That's a major concern, a top priority. Another is the risk of too much market concentration that with a few entities, uh, corporations, just having having a, a lot of power that could challenge, pose a challenge to governments. Uh, and that is certainly concerning uh, in terms of access to skills. Governments themselves don't, you know, it's difficult for them to attract skilled AI machine yes, learning yes, experts yes. And, and to compete with private sector actors in getting talent, AI talent. Uh, another challenge, and that would pro that's really the, already the top priority, I think, of many of the of the countries of today is is the fear uh, and perhaps even you know the labor displacement considerations through job automation. Uh, you know, that are not new, that are not specific to AI, but that definitely might be accentuated by AI and the risk that 
that displacement if we don't plan appropriately, if we don't set in place systems to deal with it, could worsen inequalities and particularly impact low-skilled labor and developing economies with uh, political and economic consequences that are hard to predict, but that would definitely contain high risk. Yeah. Well, that's one of those crossover areas, it feels like, Corrine, where you know we're not talking about general AI, we're not talking about anything spooky. Maybe in this case, we're just talking about some part of manufacturing, some part of customer service, some part of agriculture, just being automated or streamlined to a really, really great extent with some narrow system. Is this local in terms of how it affects, you know, okay, this country, this country, this country, it's affecting agriculture, maybe a little different. Is that local or does this have to float to global? I could definitely see arguments on both sides, depending on the use case. It feels like there's going to be a lot of those gray ones as this, as this technology becomes more capable. Yeah. And also as, as this is going to impact different places, uh, different localities, very differently, depending on their existing job mix the impacts are going to be very, very, very different. I, I think part of it's, a lot of it's going to be local, but the global community is going to have to help definitely to mitigate. At, and well, I mean, our role at the OECD is really kind of a monitoring role and trying to, you know, analyze what's happening where and what policies, you know, and then allowing countries to share their governance models, looking at what works, and then being able to come up with good practices that others can emulate to, to reach good results. But it's it's really, I think, both in the sense that the issues will be local, but in order to deal with the issues, you're going to need to have this global or at least international vision so that you can compare what's taking place where and try to look at similar countries or similar places and see how they've done those that have done better and what are what are options to you know to prepare people to reskill some countries like Finland are are very much in advance and that's what we're we're doing now is kind of looking at the different initiatives and what their impact is and you know are they successful yeah, I think, you know, I guess we'll have to see things emerge as they do. But I, I think that the observatory role of essentially saying, you know, what kinds of workforce disruption are we seeing to a grand degree? How are different countries dealing with that policy-wise, technology-wise, and otherwise? And can we roll that out and share those with other countries who are, who are also going to get hit with this manufacturing shift, with this white-collar automation shift? It's It's going to depend, I guess, on where the tech takes off. But it sounds like the hope is that when things become a big global issue, we'll have enough of a pulse on it early on to share an approach to tackle it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the the observatory has four pillars. One of which is really providing a, you know data and an analysis on AI public policy topics in areas ranging from health to transportation or agriculture. Uh, and then another is showing AI trends and data to anchor policies and evidence. So that's going to be like investment. What, Where is the investment going? How are countries doing in terms of uh, research R&D in, uh, in AI? What are their focus areas? You know, how are they cooperating internationally with other research networks? Um, and then uh, a focus is also a database of national policy initiatives in over 60 countries and 300 initiatives. So here, that allows countries to see, you know, countries who are interested, who, who are interested in preparing, let's say, um, their citizens for, you know, reskilling, for example, uh, that have a large manufacturing base or that, you know, that, that just need to develop new skills. 
to see how other countries have done it and and get into the sort of nitty gritty, uh, the details of how other countries have have launched specific initiatives in very you know specific to achieve very specific goals in some cases. So big, to compare internationally. Yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of that is open. So for those of you who are wrapping up the interview, but for those of you who are tuned in and want to take a gander at these four different areas of the policy observatory AI work at the OECD, I uh, was fortunate to see it launch off, but now it's up, uh, OECD.ai. So people can go there and dig into more of your work, Corrine, and take this interview to kind of the next level if they want to explore stuff. I certainly think that having your perspective in this series was critical, and I'm mindful of where we are on for time, but I, I want to say a big thanks for being able to join us here, Corrine. Thanks for hopping on the horn. Thank you so much, Dan. So that's episode two in our AI Futurescapes series on artificial intelligence governance. If you haven't already, make sure to let us know what you think about this series. Go to emerj.com slash pod3. That's pod3. There's a single field where you can fill out what you think about this new series. We're reading these every single Monday with the team and getting a sense of what people think. We're trying to stretch everybody's mind from the present and the applications of AI in the present into kind of farther considerations about what this means for how we live as people, what our relationships are with machines, etc. And things are going to get more and more intense as this series continues. We're starting near term. We're going to go towards the long term as we move forward. So let me know your thoughts. Are you enjoying this? Do you want to see this as a separate podcast instead of mixing it in with business? Do you like it in this mix with business? In either case, I'd really love your thoughts. Everything we do here at the show is built around what our audience thinks. So go to emerj.com slash pod3 and you can pop that in there and I'll be sure to read it myself. So thanks so much for tuning into this episode. Coming up this Tuesday, we're going to be diving back into artificial intelligence use cases, and we're going to be talking about AI in healthcare coming up on Tuesday. So you're not going to want to miss it. I'll catch you back in the normal flow of things on Tuesday. 